You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Well, as we are going, you turn once again to Genesis chapter 3. We've been going through building a stronger marriage. This is session 8, which is truth and consequences. We've been going through all these different... um, Kind of two uh, words going through, like um, shame and blame was last week, and uh, fruitful and multiply, and different things like this. And we're kind of coming to a, a little bit of a conclusion this week, looking at some of these topics. And so tonight, as we, we think about truth and consequences, we want to look at what happened in the Garden of Eden when all of a sudden Adam and Eve, uh, they were hit with the truth that God confronted them in their sin and then gave them consequences to live out. So um, after Adam and Eve's sin, God did not hide from sharing the truth and delivering the consequences. Have you ever had a moment in your life where God says, let me wake you up a little bit and it sort of hit you a little bit and say, hey, there's reality here. Uh, One of the most difficult situations sometimes in life is for us to gravitate or to understand that sometimes when we do mess up, there are consequences, right? And a lot of times I go, oh, is, is God doing this or is the devil doing this or is it just, folks, we live in a world that consequences happen, right? You, you do certain things, certain things are going to come about. And so in this, in this passage, we're going to look at what took place there when Adam and Eve sinned. Sin's effects on marriage are undeniable, right? But God's guidance is unmistakable. I think all of us can say that uh, if you have been in any type of family situation, sin's effects on marriage are undeniable. Uh, we see it everywhere. Um, we see that in some ways, unfortunately, Sometimes the place where some of the deepest hurts happen are in the home, right? It's kind of why we've been spending these last few months here. The people who should love us the best oftentimes hurt us the most. That's just kind of the way things work sometimes. And uh, with this, especially as it relates to marriage, sin's effects on marriage are undeniable. When we have something happen, it does affect other people. Um, We had a a couple weeks ago, Amanda's uh, van... uh, tire was going low on it went to go get it checked out and they said oh there's these two you know nails or screws in it whatever and they, they got it patched up and then just the other day mine started uh getting a little bit low and i keep putting air in it keeps declining real slow and i'm going what's going on and then she said i heard somewhere that on the road west georgia road that some truck um actually accidentally um dropped a whole bucket of nails on west georgia road like a few weeks ago like it wasn't just like a little bit like supposedly it was like you know lots and lots of nails and they said that all the tire shops around this area have been overwhelmed from the west georgia road people okay like so whoever's been going down that path and, and so i say that to say a lot of times people say we well, need to you know make sure that stuff in your truck is really nice and contained and you know and make sure nothing's going to bounce off and you might say well look it's my truck i can do whatever i want to it doesn't affect anybody does it well, actually it does. The tire company is thankful for you, but all the other people who are getting their tires patched, not so much. Because we know this. When we sin, it does affect other people. It's always there. Especially in a marriage relationship. When I do something, it hurts my wife. But God's guidance is unmistakable as we look at this. As Genesis 3, verse 23 says, uh, about God's truth and consequences here. It says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So once again, I just want to, I'm going to want us to start at chapter 3, verse 1, because we've spent so much time in this chapter, but I want to make sure, especially if you're coming in, we make sure that we get the context here. Verse number 1, serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, right? They feel dirty. They feel shameful. For the first time, they feel like they need to cover up. There's the shame. Here comes the next part, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then here comes the most hilarious question in all the Bible. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Now, y'all not think that's funny? I'm sorry, that's hilarious because it's almost like this. He's like, we have not gone over that vocabulary word, Adam. What are you talking about? Like, who even mentioned the word naked to you? Have you been talking to snake, right? He's like, you didn't even think that was a problem yesterday. And now, like, ah, I, was, I was naked, so I hid myself. And he's like, bro, you've been naked since the day I met you, okay? Like, you've been naked this whole time, and now it's the first time. He goes, so, so who, who have you been talking with, right? He's kind of trying to let him come out, right? I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, ah, the woman whom... You gave me. You gave her to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And she said, Oh, the serpent. He deceived me, and, and I ate. And then here we go. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, here comes truth consequences. Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now stop for a second. We'll look at what he gives the consequence to the woman and the man, but we won't spend a whole lot of time here, but I want to make sure you at least do hear this part. He looks at Satan and says, because of what you've done, there's now going to be truth and consequences to this. And he says, all right, on your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat. It's interesting, right? Man was made from the dust, and now the snake has no legs. And it's going to be like you're going to be choking on the stuff, basically, that man was made from all the days of your life. And he says there's going to be enmity. There's going to be strife between you and the woman. And if you really look at what the next phrase is this, between your seed and her seed, there's going to be a fight that's going to happen between your seed and her seed. Now, Without having to go into too much graphic details, folks, typically when you think about the procreation that happens between a man and a woman, typically it is thought of as the male that has the seed, not the female that has the seed. So why in the world would God say that the female will have seed? Makes no sense. God's completely aware. He's the one who's designed all this. Why would he say that? Because the fight is going to end when someone who's not born of the seed of man but the seed of a woman. That's when the battle's going to stop. Can you think of anybody in the Bible that was born not because of what something that would happen because man got the credit? Anybody? Possibly, right? Okay, it's church. Jesus is a good shot at the question, okay, right? So, so tell me this. Before Jesus is born, thousands of years before this, Genesis chapter 3, it is written that one day the battle is going to culminate when the seed of a woman, not the seed of a man, some birth of which man cannot get the credit for, only a virgin birth, that man is going to come, and that strife between you, Satan, is going to be ended when the seed of a woman comes up, and that virgin birth of which no man's going to get the credit, you two are going to be in battle, and in that moment, he's going to crush your head when you strike him in the what? 
Does it look familiar to anybody? Jesus, nail here, nail here, and where else? Right through his feet and his heels. In that moment, struck in the heel is also the death blow to the enemy. In that moment when Jesus is on the cross and Satan thinks he's won, I struck him, I struck the seat of the woman, now I got him. And he didn't realize that was the moment when it was sealed the deal for him. See, way back in here, Genesis chapter 3, the, the battle that started in the Garden of Eden, God said, let me tell you how this is going to end, Satan. <laughs> you think that you've got them set. I've already set things in motion that one day the seed of a woman is going to come and you're going to strike him on his heel and in that moment he's going to crush your head. And that was seen at, at Mount Calvary. And so all of what Satan did in the Garden, folks, I will just remind you in, in good confidence here, Jesus Christ put an end to it. Amen? Amen. It's a good, good word. So this is where he comes to Satan. And I also just remind you, anybody ever just say, oh, you know, the Bible is just written a certain way. How can you trust it? Folks, that's crazy right there. That's nuts. That's Genesis chapter 3. That's written thousands of years before Jesus was ever walking the earth. How do you, how do you make that up? I mean, it's nuts. Absolutely. The seed of a woman is going to come. The moment you strike him on his heel, he's going to crush your head. Praise be to God. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Amen. So, so here it is. So here, here's what comes on the serpent. Then it goes to the woman. And he says... Verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, here, here we go. Let, let's look at this kind of specifically as it relates to the punishment here for Adam and Eve. While each person in the Garden of Eden was held responsible for their sin, God gave unique punishments to each party. Let's talk about man's punishment here. For all the fellows in the room, let's just sort of see where it landed for Adam, and I also think where it lands for us. Work will now be challenging and frustrating for mankind, and all God's people said. <laughs> Amen. Right, okay. Uh, I think all of us have been in a situation like that. And as we, we talked about a few weeks ago in worship, work is not the consequence of sin. Frustration with work was the consequence of sin. Work was given before sin was ever introduced. Work is a good thing. Work is a noble thing. Work is a life-giving thing. Work is a helpful thing. But when all of a sudden, when sin takes it place, he says work is now going to be challenging and frustrating for mankind. You saw it there. Uh, in verse 18, or verse, end of verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now the work is going to be difficult. He even says it this way, verse 18, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Work is going to be difficult now. And you go, what was it before then? It was enjoyable. He wasn't sweating. He wasn't struggling. There was never a bad crop. There weren't thorns. There were not thistles. There was not IRS. There was not long lines. I'm sorry, did I go there? But you see what I'm saying, right? Okay, everything got complicated when sin entered in. Something that was good now has thorns and thistles ringing. So work became frustrating. It became challenging. And all of us know that situation, right? Even if you've had a job that you love, there's something about it that's just frustrating. And that's part of the consequence of the fall. Number two, a body's limitations will be undeniable. And some of you would say, mm-hmm, right, okay, like, I was joking with the 5 o'clock service, so just so you know, I am officially going to be over the hill as of Wednesday, okay, I'm turning 40 on Wednesday, I am so excited, I cannot wait, I have been talking about it, I don't know why, everybody's like, oh, are you worried, I'm just thankful for another year, I'm excited, you know, and I, I told my wife this the other day, I said, listen, 
up to this point, I've been really kind. When I hit 40, all bets are off. I'm just going to be old and crotchety. I'm going to say what I'm thinking. I've been reserved up to this point, and I'm just saying, get ready, get ready, get ready, okay? So I just want to warn everybody, I'm going to hit a different stride here. Uh, but with this, like, uh, I think we all know this at whether it's 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. Have you figured out that your body has limitations, anybody? You've been there yet? <laughs> What yeah, somebody say, I can still do what I used to do. It just takes me longer to recover from it. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, some of you guys, I can still go. I just, I feel it a little bit longer, right? Uh, with this, uh, you sweaty your face. You're, you're going to, your body is going to wear out on you. Which you go, so what was going to be like before the fall? Your body wasn't going to wear out on you. There wasn't going to be aches and pains and, and, and sickness and, and all this kind of stuff. And so, so a lot of times when you feel that ache in your knee or that the sickness that comes upon you, you know that wasn't God's intention. It's just kind of when all of a sudden when we set ourselves to be in charge of the world, the world starts to turn on itself, and we experience some of the consequences of it. The thorns and the thistles affects our body. The stuff that's you know disfigured and distorted in our world starts to distort and disfigure us as well. Then also, as far as man's punishment goes, that death has now entered the picture. If you look... At the end of verse 19, he says, By sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. You're made from the dust, guess what? That's where you're going back. That's it. Um, folks, death was not in the picture at this point. But we know what Scripture says, the wages of sin is it's death, Romans 6.23. So, so what takes place is now, because of sin... We're not going to live forever. The life we live on this earth is going to be painful. Work's going to be painful. Our body's going to struggle. And then one day, it's over. There's, there's death that, that awaits us at some point. It's now entered the picture. And so with this, the punishment of sin has come upon them, and death will take place. And we look at one, the woman's punishment. And um, as we go, we'll go backwards here uh, of a verse to verse 16. First one is there. Childbearing will now be difficult. And all women said, uh-huh. Right, okay, like a... If you are a lady and you've ever given birth to a child or you have been in the room when such has happened, you will say, God's word is true. Okay, God's word is true. Um, uh, it is definitely a different situation, right, than I think what God even intended. Which would you go, so what was God's intention? What was it going to be? Well, Adam and Eve's coming into the world was not difficult. It wasn't challenging, right? So I don't know what it was supposed to be, but as a result, childbearing was now going to be difficult. There was going to be pain in it. So even with the beauty of life as a symbol of, yet there's pain and there's danger and there's risk involved at any type of situation with it. Also with the woman's punishment, a struggle for power will be present within marriage. I don't know if you caught this at the end of that verse, but this is a very important aspect of what takes place in verse 16. Different translations will word it this way, but I think this is a very faithful translation to say that your desire shall be for your husband, or that word can also mean your desire shall be against your husband, and he shall love you. He shall shepherd you. He shall care for you. Now what does it say? He shall rule over you. What takes place in this is that God says, all right, ideally, what was supposed to happen here? God comes to Adam. Adam was first, not because he was more important than Eve. He just was before her. That's what made him special in his own right, okay? He was first. 
So God says, Adam, I've got one rule and only one rule. I want you to enjoy everything in this garden except for that tree because that tree says to me, you trust me to make what's right and what's wrong. You take from that and you think you're God and you can decide what to do. So don't eat from that tree. Then he takes him that one day, he gets Eve, and he says, God, out of all the creations, this one is my favorite. And he says, okay, your job is to love her, to care for her, to shepherd her, and y'all be suitable helpers for one another. And at some point, God expected Adam to tell his wife this commandment. Apparently he had, but apparently either Adam had exaggerated or Eve exaggerated. Because it wasn't, we can't just eat of it. We can't eat it, and we can't even what? Touch it. Touch it. Man, God is so rough on us. We can't even touch it. And throughout Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, you hear the walking, talking snake, Satan himself talking to Eve. And where is Adam? He's there. Not saying a word. Watching Sports Center, scrolling Facebook, scratching his navel. I don't know what he's doing. But he ain't stepping up to his role in that moment. And I'm just saying, from that moment in the Garden of Eden, a curse came upon this world where men, we are going to struggle to want to revert to passivity rather than to being the leaders that God has called us to be. This is why it's so reality. You won't hear it in a whole lot of context, but some of y'all, y'all grew up this way that you heard it said in this light. If mama ain't happy, what? Nobody's happy, right? Okay, that's what, that's what happens here in Genesis chapter 3. Your desire, Eve, is when Adam's not doing what he is supposed to do, ladies, you rightfully will say, I'll take it in my own hands then. All right, fellas, we're not going to have testimony service here. But fellas in the room, have you ever known a woman who got frustrated because her man was not leading that she said, fine, then I'll do it? If you won't, I will. Mom step in, a grandma step in, a wife step in. I want you to raise the kids spiritually, but if you won't do it, I will. I want somebody to look at why this faucet is leaking under the sink. And if you won't, I will. And a lot of times what takes place. Now, now then what happens is, is conflict takes place. Your desire is going to be kind of against, and you're going to kind of, just like Eve, you kind of went around and Adam got passive, but yet he didn't step up. And so you just said, okay, fine, I'll do this. And he, he kind of went in and, and didn't listen. He listened to your voice rather than God's voice. Here's what's going to be. Now, says he's going to rule over you. And men, our world is littered with examples of when men use the size of their voice or their strength or their manipulative tactics to take advantage of a woman. This is the promise of such conflict that takes place this struggle for power will be present within marriage, and we've seen it. We also see within this that couples will push back from God's intention about interacting with one another. Where Adam should have shepherded Eve, he's now going to rule over her. It's not going to be kind and compassionate. It can sometimes be harsh and unforgiving. So within this punishment, this first couple... It's not looking too good, folks. Okay? <laughs> You're looking at, oh, this is God's plan. We're on page three, and this thing is falling apart quickly. Quickly here. So, so what is the need here? And this is what I think is absolutely beautiful about what God brings about in our understanding. Because while sin fractured this couple and every subsequent couple, God's word provides life-giving instructions. Okay? So sin fractured this couple, messed everything up, shame and blame entered in, consequences enter in, they're getting kicked out of the garden, all that stuff's happening. But understand this, and, and so 
Um, with a lot of what I get the opportunity to do, um, if I were to think through out of all of my responsibilities as a pastor, one of the things that I'm typically called upon to do is to, is to counsel people, right? It could be in an informal setting or it could be in a very formal setting. Sometimes it's a one time, sometimes it's over the phone, sometimes it's many times and you walk through. And I'll say this, probably the top issue I've ever counseled anybody on in this world, guess what it is? Marriage. Top of the list. Marriage is always that issue people come in for. Typically, people come in much later than when they should have, right? Um, I had this, uh, when I was growing up, I had a doctor that was really old school, and I'd always laugh because, like, if I went in too early, why, why are you coming in for that? Just take some Tylenol. <laughs> okay, my bad. And then, if I was just like, next time I'm sick and I don't come in, I don't come in, he's like, why don't you come in? I could have gotten you medicine. You've been better by now. I'm like, I, I don't know what to do with you, right? Okay, like, I can't find, and sometimes his whole thing was, if you'd have caught this earlier, we wouldn't have had to do this. But now we got to do more medicine, and you're going to have to do more of this. But if it had been caught earlier, just, just imagine, for example, if you've been cut, and all of a sudden you start bleeding, and you go, okay, I can handle the situation if I'll address it right now. But if I don't address it and it keeps bleeding, what happens over time? It's a more serious issue than when it started, right? I think a lot of couples cut each other. They're bleeding, and they go, we'll get around to talking to somebody to fix that later. And they just keep bleeding out and keep bleeding out and keep bleeding out. Then they come to my office and they barely got anything left when they collapse and go, can we put it together? I'm going, maybe. But you know what would better? Six months ago, 30 years ago, something back there when the bleeding started, like you would have gotten some help, right? You've you done something. And so with this, there, there is life-giving instructions, but in, in so many of the counseling situations that I've had, and I can think of a recent one probably about a year or so ago, I sat down with a couple, never saw them before. They go to a different church. They did not feel comfortable going to their pastor to talk about their marriage issues, but they said that I would, that I, they had heard that I would talk to them, and I said, well, sure. And they start going on talking about this, and I said, okay, just stop, 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 stop. And they're like, what? We hadn't finished what we were going through. I was like, oh, this is a textbook. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, this is so elementary. And they're like offended. And I said, no, 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 here's the deal. Let me tell you how this works. Uh, lady, you don't respect him because you want him to be more than he actually is. And so you're criticizing him, and so therefore, he's going everywhere else in the world to get compliments because all he hears from you is critical. And so what he's doing is he's not taking care of your needs because he's putting all of his attention and money and hours towards something else which you need, and the cycle just continues to happen. She needs security, he needs significance, and you're actually robbing that from each other. And they went, oh. and I'm like, this is simple, folks. They're like, what do we do? I'm like, I'm so glad you asked. Here's where it is. When I look at it, right, significance is the number one need that I see in most men's life. Significance in some portion. Let me explain how this works. God still expected Adam to fulfill his original purpose, but in light of their frustrating circumstances. You see that God did not say, okay, you don't have to work anymore. You don't have to care for her anymore. He just said, no, you're going to have to do it. It's going to be more challenging. And what takes place, I think, that as I've seen in every single man, and I can prove it to you here in just a minute here, is that every man desires significance in some critical area of his life. You take away a man's significance and he gets desperate to find it somewhere else. Okay? Every single man is a significance, craving, obsessed fella. Right? Guys, you don't have to testify because I'm going to prove it to you. All right? Ladies, let me just tell you this in the room here. Most men in the world... Or I will tell my, my precious wife this a lot of times, especially now that we've got our old dog, Luther, and I'll go, baby, 
I am just like Luther. There's not a lot of complexities to me. If you just rub me a little bit and tell me I'm a good boy, I'm all right. That's really all it takes, okay? That's all I need in life. I don't need a whole lot else. It's really that simple. It's all I need, okay? Good boy, you're a good dog. <laughs> I'm just wagging my tail. Everything's fine, right? I mean, that's, that's all I need. But, but what is that, right? Every single man wants somebody to say, you're doing a good job. You do awesome at that. Every single man wants to hear that. We originally want to hear it from our parents. If we don't hear it from there, we start looking at it from our friends. And in a lot of places, we don't, right? We don't need to hear it from. Uh, a unbelievable song by a, a Christian hip-hop artist named Lecrae is, says, when he started getting into gangs, he said it this way. They said I was good at bad things. At least they're proud of me. That is perfectly tuned to what men struggle with. That so many men find themselves having people say, you do a good job at bad stuff, and they don't care that it's bad. They just want the affirmation. They just want the significance. We want to know that we broke the record in the sport that we were in. We want to know that we can lift and and run faster than anybody else out there. We want to look better, our car is shinier than this. We want to make more than this. We want to get the promotion. We want to be at the top of something. And we are significant, craving mind. And so whoever says, you're a good boy, we go, <laughs> and we'll do whatever they ask for, right? I, I, I can prove it to you. No man ever has a problem spending an unthinkable amount of money on a hobby because something is affirming him. Men don't struggle working overtime. You know why? Because the paycheck is saying, we affirm you. We, we, we are significant, crave monsters. And so, this is where it typically happens. Typically, when a man walks outside of the marriage, it never happens just because he's attracted to one lady over his wife. It typically starts because one woman compliments while the other woman is criticizing. Now you go, that doesn't give him the right to. Totally agree, but I'm just telling you, it's textbook. It's textbook. Um, met with a man one time. Walked outside the lines of his marriage, and, and he just and his wife is like, I'm done, blah, 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 because I have my hair a certain way because he likes my hair this length. And I go to the gym six days a week because he likes me to be in shape. And he likes my nails to be like this. And he likes my clothes to be like this. And here he is, and he's with a woman that's way uglier than me. And I was like, okay, let's not get into name college. Because, no, ask him. Ask him right now. She's fat and she's ugly. And I said, okay, this is getting a little uncomfortable. She says, ask him. And I said, Come on, man. And he goes, no, she's right. I went, what? <laughs> yeah, no, she, she's not that attractive. My wife is way better looking. No, there's nothing wrong. With my, I, I said, okay, what's going on? For 20 years when he went home, he was always told what he wasn't doing enough of. And then he went to work where some lady said, you always do that so good. I wish my husband could do it like that. All it took. Done. He knew it. Yeah, my wife's better looking. Yeah, my wife, all this stuff. It was that significance that he was missing. And men, if they don't find significance in the home, they will find it somewhere else. So we get, is it a free pass, fellas? Nope. But it's a magnet. It's a magnet for us. Turn the page over. Women, let me get to you for a second. Here's the security aspect. Okay? So y'all, brace for impact. Y'all didn't know Pastor Travis wound up today. I'm telling you, okay? Um, God still gave Eve the amazing privilege of life coming from her, says here, but her, okay? Coming from her, but the security of what they had known was forever changed. If you look at verse 20, right after these consequences take place, there is something so beautiful. It says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. 
here, here she is. Now she has this name, Eve, and, and you're the mother of all living. She still had the right and privilege to be able to do this. But what is amazing on what takes place is here, just and what happens is when she gets taken from the garden, she's robbed of the security that she's had. And every woman desires security in some critical area of her life. Every single woman, I don't care how much of a leader, how aggressive, how passive, how opinionated, whatever she is, every woman I've ever met desires security in some critical area of her life. And now they have sinned and security is robbed from them and they're having to leave the garden, leave their home, leave the structure, leave the provision, and they don't know what to do. And what I have found in every single woman, no matter how strong, how much of a leader, how opinionated they are in life, you know what I found every single woman? They want to be married to a husband who's following hard after the Lord. They don't mind. Women want to be a leader a lot of times, but guess what they also want as a husband? They do want a leader. I've never met a woman going, you know what I've always asked the Lord for? A deadbeat for a husband, okay? I've never seen that happen. Even if they're go-getters, right? They are wanting that, that man to say, look at him. And, and let me tell you, where, where do women get, get all insecure? They feel like their man is staring at other women rather than them. Insecurity. What's wrong with me? That's why guys don't understand when we, we were talking about pornography a couple weeks ago. What's the big deal about pornography? I'm not doing anything with it. Because now she's comparing herself to people she cannot compare with. And so now she's insecure. As if living in this culture as a woman is not difficult enough. Now she knows your eyes have been used to that standard and she feels insecure. You've robbed her of security within the confines of her marriage now. Why do women sometimes struggle with finances? Why don't you care about this? Why don't you do about this? Because it's like, oh, what's going to happen? What if you lose your job? How are we going to take the kids to college? And a lot of times women, you're thinking of things that men, we haven't even thought about yet. Sometimes my wife say, Have you, what do you think about such and such? I'm like, oh, uh, 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 ladies first, right? Okay, you, you tell me what. She's thinking of scenarios I don't even know were possibilities yet, right? And her security gets robbed when she'll ask me a question about our family that I hadn't even thought about yet. You know where my, I can see my wife just completely go, oh, I'm calm. When I see an issue in parenting and I address it proactively rather than her having to tell me to do it follow? I'll be straight with you. That happens some of the times. My wife's a lot sharper and faster than I am. Trav, did you get to that? I was just going to get to it. Just give me a second, right? Okay. Because here's the deal. If I, complete difference, I can do what she asked me to do, but if I do it before she asks it, her security level goes up. He's thinking about her family. He's caring about her finances. He's making sure the doors are locked. He's making sure that someone is watching over things. Like, it's just the security that comes in. And this is what's robbing so many women right now in the world is that instead of this, so what takes place, here, here's the, the pattern, right? So whether it starts either way, a man doesn't make a wife feel secure, so she starts telling him all the things that he's not doing. His significance is rocked, and he starts walking away, which makes the insecurity even more. And you see the cycle? Over and over and deeper and deeper it goes. So what's the solution? God's Word gives us a solution for the scenario. Instead of focusing on our individual needs, God designed marriage to address the needs of our spouses. So let me show you what he calls husbands to do. It's this beautiful word called sacrifice. The Garden of Eden broke everything down in marriage. Here's Ephesians 5 where the apostle Paul comes in and speaks into what we need to do. I'll also tell you this. It's, it's helpful for me. I had asked somebody a long time ago, um, 
uh, about just certain things in marriage, and they said, you know what, I don't think you, you can really know anything about marriage until you've been married about 35 years, and then you can start teaching on it. And I said, shame on you, and here's why. Because 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every single good work. And I don't think that God set us up in marriage that only experience can teach us, meaning that he doomed us to fail. Here's what I know. The biblical message that we get in the New Testament on marriage and parenting, you know the two people who speak about it the most? Jesus and Paul. Both single guys who never had kids. How's that for experience, folks? Jesus was single. He never got married. Never had kids. Well, he, okay, he's God in the flesh. Okay, all right, Paul was single, never got married, and yet that's where we go to. Why is it? Because Scripture is inspired by God, and if it's from God's wisdom, we don't need experience to teach us. Yeah, it can help us implement it, but God's truth is enough. So with this, here's what God tells men to do. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. What does this call us to do? Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Um, men, if you ever want to have a challenge in life, an adventure to go for, the Apostle Paul just gave you one. Be like Jesus in your marriage. Ah, oh, I'll have that done by Wednesday, right? Now, this is a challenge here, folks. Because what is he calling us to do? Men are called to lay down their lives for the good of their wives. Men are called to lay down their lives. I, husbands, love your wives, sacrifice for them as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when I think through it, I think always, I love I, when, when the Passion of the Christ movie came out, if you ever saw that, it, 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 I mean, it grabs you, man. It, it's harder to watch. And I can remember this moment that I thought they portrayed it so well where the, uh, the character portraying Jesus, he's falling off the cross and he's, he's crawling toward it. He's going back to the cross. I'm going to get back on that thing. And I'm like, he can barely move, but he's, he's moving towards it. Why? Because what the cross represented this was. Who deserved the cross, folks? We did and Jesus is crawling. Why? Because his bride, the church, he wants to go there instead of her. Here's this picture. Uh-uh. That harm's not coming to my bride. I'm going to block that. I'm going to be in the way. And then this is what God has called us to do. In a husband's sacrifice, a wife finds, guess what? The security that she needs. In a husband's sacrifice, when he sacrifices for her, a wife finds the security that she needs. I can remember seeing it years ago and a friend of mine who got laid off from his very lucrative job who went to work at a fast food restaurant and his wife told me, I've never been more proud of my husband right now because I know he'll do anything to provide for our family. You think she looked down at that? No, she felt secure. He's willing to do whatever. He'll, he'll go. He'll go and deliver food to the people who fired him and he's not going to blink at it. Why? Because he's putting food on our table. He don't mind it. Security. You'd think she's oh, embarrassed. She wasn't embarrassed. She was happy i got a man who will do anything. Provides the security that she needs. Now here's this wonderful word that 2021 just loves to talk about. It's called submission. Same passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I, I want you guys to know something when you look at both of those two passages. If you look at the husband one, it does say husbands. It does not say love all the women. It says love your wife, right? Women, it does not say submit to all the men out there. It says submit to your husband as to the Lord. And what does this mean? This does not mean for a woman to follow blindly as a man goes away from the Lord. 
does not mean that a woman is a doormat to sit there and listen to. But I want you to think about it in the context we've been talking about. To know that women are called to build their husbands up to who God has called them to be. If men are wanting to find esteem somewhere, ladies, let it be found with you. If they're going to gravitate towards whoever compliments them the most, whoever encourages them the most, let it be you. I say this jokingly, but ever so serious. I know, and don't laugh at this, I know I'm not the most handsome man out there in the world, but by golly, I think that I am some days. You know why? Because my wife esteems me that way. Y'all, my receding hairline was, was struggling when I was 19 years old. It was, it had it, it moved past enemy lines. It wasn't coming back. I mean, I, I was like, it's, it's over. Like, this ain't coming back. I, I got a ring out. I said, you got to get married to be quick because this is gone, okay? I mean, I had some beautiful hair. I got to show you all pictures sometime. It was long. Okay, anyway. Right, it was really, really good, right? And so I know that I'm not the most attractive man in the world, but I really do believe my wife thinks that I am. I don't think I'm the best dad in the world, the way that my wife esteems me before my kids, some of y'all know the way the kids look up to me, and a lot of that has to do with the way that my wife talks about me. Without a doubt. My, my kids think I literally walk on water, and it's not because I do. It's because their mom esteems me. So, folks, when I'm down, when I'm low, you know where I want to go to? My house, to be with my family, because that's the most encouraging place in the world to be. That's where I want to be. You know what that causes? See what happens here? So... I love it, right? In a wife's submission, a husband finds the significance that he needs. Man needs significance. God says, wives, submit. Wife needs security. God says, husbands, sacrifice. You're not waking up saying, let me meet my needs. It's let me meet her needs. Let me meet his needs. And guess what? At the end of the day, all of our needs are met. Neither of us have been selfish, and we have glorified God in the process. So a wife is insecure. That's what are men called to do? Sacrifice. Men struggle with insignificant. What's a wife called to do? Submit, respect, honor. Once again, women, this is not saying, oh, you're just so wonderful. No, no, no. It's saying this. I have never, ever met a man ever in the history that has ever heard his wife tell him over and over and over, you're nothing, you're never going to be anything, you're not a good husband, you're not a good father, this house is a mess, you never take out the trash where he goes, you know what, you're right, I'm going to change. I've never seen that happen. Never once in the history of mankind. You know what typically takes place? A woman praying and respecting and honoring her husband, and guess what? It calls him to be who God has called him to be. I can remember the moment where my wife looked at me and she said, we got a decision to make. I could go this way or I could go that way. i got a list of pros and cons on both sides, and that's why I am so thankful that I'm married to a godly man whom I trust wholeheartedly. You make the call and I'm with you. And I thought, have you lost your ever-loving mind? What are you doing? Don't, don't, don't trust me. You know what it calls me to do? Step up. Step up to be who God called me to be. Now, I'm going to get to this last little bit real quick here, but I want to show you guys this as we conclude about the gospel because this is so important. The hope for every soul and every marriage is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've already shown you that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus is mentioned here in this passage. But let me also break down how this even lays out even more so for us. Because if there is truth and if there's consequences if every marriage is riddled with sin we've got to learn how to deal with that sin because if you're not aware if you are married you do have a sin problem in your house okay yes your spouse yes yourself what do you do you should not hold sin over your spouse's life that jesus christ has forgiven folks folks some of us have higher standards than god almighty does on people that we love the most 
we're going to be rougher, harder than, holding grudges, and God says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me show you what happens. What did Adam and Eve, what did they first, when they felt dirty, what did they put over themselves? Remember? Big leaves, right? Get these bushes together and cover up. Oh, this is embarrassing. God's here. You're here. Oh, gosh, I need underwear. I mean, it's just like they felt overwhelmed. They, they just got covered up. Then I want you to look at this just random verse thrown at there at the end of verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Stop. I thought they already had clothes on. Yeah, what they'd come up with. But God says, no, 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 that's not good enough. I'm going to make the next set of clothes. You're going to make a set of clothes? Why, why would you do that? The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of what? Skins and clothed them. So, folks, if you have a fur coat, what does that, if it's real fur, okay, what does that imply? Something had to die. Adam and Eve's personal works of covering their shame was insufficient. Fig leaves, we do this, right? We're going to cover up. Not good enough. Your works will never be good enough to cover up your shame. Your works will never be good enough to cover up your guilt. Your works will never be good enough to cover up your sin. So that was insufficient. So Adam and Eve's personal works of covering their shame was insufficient. So the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of not leaves, but garments of skin. Why would he do that? In order for them to have their guilt covered, something had to die. Genesis chapter 3, prophesying about the one who would come as the seed of a woman. The only way they walk out of that garden clothed and covered from their guilt and shame, some innocent sacrifice had to have their life taken so their guilt could be covered up. Points us to Jesus, folks. How do we walk into our lives covered up? Because Jesus Christ had to die. Folks, this, how, how, how can anybody come up with this stuff? Like, this was the, the plan all along. In Genesis chapter 3, Jesus was on the mind. And literally, this is what's going to happen. God goes, no, 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 you're not walking out like that. Someone's going to die so you can be covered up, and you're going to walk out of here not in your guilt, not in your shame. And so, verse 24 says, He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of what? The tree of life. So he casts them out of the garden, and he puts a cherubim at the place to say you cannot enter in the presence of God. Did you know that what? There's a um, curtain in the tabernacle and then a curtain in the temple. And you know what was stitched in the book of Exodus that said it has to be stitched and woven in that fabric? A uh, symbol of a cherubim. You can't come into the presence of God because you sin too much. You're out. Right there in the middle of the temple. There's God's holy of holies. That's where the presence of God is supposed to meet with us. But we can't get in. Why? Because our sin, the cherubim is saying out. And when Jesus died on that cross, that veil in the temple tore in two. The cherubim laid down his sword. And God says, you can come back into my presence now. Why? Because the garments of Jesus Christ covering every single one of us. Jesus is the way back to the presence of God through the tree that brought him death to offer us life. Guarding the way to the tree of life. But folks, there was a tree of life that Jesus died upon. His death brought us life. And I am telling you this right here, right now. You think your marriage problem is because you fuss and fight all the time. I'm saying we haven't let the gospel take hold of us and even get to a practical level of it. And, I, and I'm saying there's truth, there's consequences. We've got to deal with the shame. We've got to deal with the guilt. But at the end of it all, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ pointing us to something greater. And so to that gospel of Jesus Christ, 
we just surrender. We say that your ways are better, that we want to say, God, death to ourselves so that we can find life in you. The cherubim have laid down their swords. The presence of God is open wide. We are dressed in your righteousness and your righteousness alone to cover up our guilt and shame. And today, from a big picture level, we are seen as clothed, not in our own righteousness and our filthy rags, but in the righteousness of Christ. And practically, within our marriages, I can look at myself knowing that I am redeemed and forgiven by Jesus Christ, and I am married to someone who is redeemed and forgiven by Jesus Christ. And in the complexities of how sin complicates our marriage, deep down you have taught us what to do. To honor, to love, to submit, to sacrifice, and to see what takes place when we act like Jesus within the confines of our home. So, Lord, to that end, we pray, we work, we strive, and Spirit compel us forward and give us the strength to do so. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.